Well, I remember it was my senior class year, and I was not the senior class president, so I, I can wash my hands of all of this. Um, and actually, Mr. Wilhelm was there at the time, too. There you are. And uh, our class did something rather rebellious. We were supposed to do a class pretty close, uh, but our senior class president went out and bought all these tickets to San Francisco. Um, and so we had a lot of money to fundraise, and how we got away with that, I'm not exactly sure. But somehow they ended up letting us go, but we had to get a lot of money to get everybody that wanted to go to San Francisco over there. And so one of the ideas that came in as a fundraiser, as, as everybody was thinking, 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 our wonderful class officers came up with the idea, we're going to have a food-eating competition. <laughs> and so they did it in the uh, auditorium there at College Yale Academy, and they blacked out all of the windows, and the idea is we're going to charge admission so that people will pay, I think it was $2 or something, to come and watch and be spectators in this sport. And the way it was set up, and I didn't participate. I probably paid my $2, though, which is participating. Anyway, they had tables on either side, and you could line up on either one of the tables, and you had to eat various food items. And in between, as you finished your plate and you were inspected to go or approved to go, you would race to the back of the auditorium, touch the back doors, and race back. Anybody see any problems with this? I don't know. I wasn't on faculty then. Anyway, um, so I, I don't remember all the various items. I remember burritos was on the list or a burrito, and one of the last and final things was a hot dog. And so a friend of mine, I won't say his name, Corby Swafford, he ate, (laughs) sorry, Corby, wherever you are, (laughs) you're my hero, he ate a whole hot dog without eating a hot dog. And you know what that means? That means you don't chew anything. You take the hot dog and you go like this, ah, to win, I mean, all to win. And so he, he did this, got the okay, races back to touch the end, and he's coming back up to the front, and if you're truly choking, it doesn't go, ha, ha, it's more like, and so he started doing this, and, and goes off to the side of the, the stage up there at the academy. Thankfully, one of the smallest, most petite faculty members there saw this going on, and did the Heimlich maneuver on my friend, and out comes a purely unchewed hot dog. <laughs> oh, my. We're not going to have anybody at potluck today. I'm so sorry, Elaine. <laughs> I don't think we're serving burritos or hot dogs, but anyway. Have you ever heard of the idiom, it's too much of a good thing? Is there such a thing? How many of you have heard of the MLE? Bunch of amateurs in here. Major League Eating. It's the undisputed authority on competitive eating worldwide, so now you know. And they have official eating contests, and and I, I took note of some of these. 12 pounds of asparagus in 10 minutes. Eight and a half ounces of onions. In one minute, that's three onions. Uh, Peas, nine and a half one-pound bowls in 12 minutes. There's potatoes, there's sweet corn. 47 ears of sweet corn in 12 minutes. It takes me that long to get corn off of one ear, let alone 47. (laughs) 
Watermelon, 13.22 pounds in 15 minutes. And uh, Pastor Hyman, to your shame, tacos. I know it's not the same thing, but a soft taco, similar. 53 in 10 minutes. That's one taco every 11 seconds. So you have some training to do. How's your appetite? Can you have too much of a good thing? Temperance. What is temperance? We don't use that word too often anymore. Well, it's to dispose entirely of things that are harmful. And secondly, to use in moderation the things that are good. Anything taken to excess is not good. So this idea of temperance, of moderation. Now, we don't want to be moderate with our crack cocaine use. We want to just abstain from that altogether, right? Those are things that are harmful. So we put that on. But anything that's good for you, it's moderate use. That's temperance. And some of you are thinking, are we really going to talk about temperance today? Really? Is it that important? Is it really that big of a deal? Temperance? Stick with me. We'll come back around, but for now I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 3. Very well-known story. I'd like to read through, if you have your Bible this morning, we're going to read a lot of Daniel chapter 3 this morning. But we're in Daniel chapter 3, beginning verse 1, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says... Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. Why would he do that? Because he had a dream of an image that had different metals in it, symbolizing different kingdoms that would come. But oh, no, 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 there will be nobody after me. There will be one image with one type of metal material. It's not even really metal. It's going to be all gold. Not just the head. The entire thing will be gold. And so King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. 60 and 6. And he set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together and listen to the list. The satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces. If you didn't catch on, everybody who's anybody is going to be there. This is the main event. And he invites them to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officers of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, in case you missed it. Verse 4. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. That's the authority behind this whole thing. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the symphony with all kinds of music, 
all the people, nations and languages, fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is an interesting story. And I believe this story parallels very closely Revelation chapter 13, the beast power. And we looked at that in the pastor's class just last week. You have a universal world leader in both, Daniel 3 and Revelation 13. You have a counterfeit image in both, the image of gold and the image to or counterfeit Sabbath. An image is a likeness of in both. The dimensions that we have are 60 and 6. We just read it. But in Revelation 13, it's described as 666. You have a command to worship the image or the false image of Sunday. You have a universal death decree in both. And so my question is, based on this story, based on Revelation 13, when this situation comes up, what will you do? Is this that big of a deal? I mean, you could rationalize, God, you don't want me to go through this, certainly, do you? I'm one of your best witnesses here in Babylon. I wouldn't be any good to you dead, so certainly this isn't what you want for me to do. Besides, I won't actually worship the image. I'll just happen to pray to you at that time. Or maybe I'll just tie my shoe. Maybe I'll make some type of excuse. But you know, Lord, I'm not going to be praying to idols. Idols don't mean anything. They're meaningless. Peer pressure. It's real, by the way. And it's powerful. And we see every form of intimidation in this story. All the biggest world leaders are there. I mean, this is it. The center of the, of the world is right here. Everyone is going along, but in case you have doubts, we've set up huge fires on either side. And if you don't bend the knee, if you don't worship, that's no problem. We'll just expose of you quickly, easily. So what would you do? Or should I say, what will you do? Somebody sent me something this week. It's called Together 2016. Have you heard of that? Fill the mall, it says. Together 2016. It's happening July 16 of 2016. And it's all about, in fact, if you just Google Together 2016, it's the first one that pops up. It says, be one of millions standing for Jesus. It's time for the church to unite. That's what it says on their website. Moments, and this is also a direct quote, moments of historic change are often marked by historic gatherings. So they're asking all of the Protestant churches, all of the Catholic churches, anybody who believes in Jesus to come to the mall in Washington, D.C. and to fill the mall. They want that big picture, right, where there's standing room only everywhere for miles around. And they're hoping a million plus will come. Moments of historic change. What kind of change are they looking for, I wonder? 
marked by historic gatherings. So you're going to have evangelicals, charismatics, Protestants, Catholics. And then there's a portion on their website that says, why together? Question mark. And they have five reasons. And these are the titles for their five reasons. We're building towards something unprecedented. Interesting. It's time to come together around Jesus. Thirdly, we are asking Jesus to reset our generation. Fourthly, we are taking a stand against division. And fifthly, the world will be different because this generation came together. Pope Francis will address the group by videocast. Momentum is building, friends. Can you see it? Now, I have nothing against revival. Revival is good. Jesus is certainly good. Unity is good. But what is it centered in? Truth or is it truth mixed with error? Truth found in the scriptures or emotion and feeling and a bunch of bands are going to be there and playing and all the rest. Maybe I should just stick to my story. Verse 8, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and the symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the old gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Isn't that what you said? Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not to name any names. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Is it true? Would you disrespect me in this way? Would you defy unity in this way? Why can't we all come together? Why can't we get along? I thought you were in this with me. Now, verse 15, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship... You shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Notice what the bottom line is. Whose God's more powerful? Which God will deliver you from me? Got it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. 
and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But verse 18, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Bottom line, whether we live or die, we're going to be faithful to God. We're not going to be disrespectful. We're not going to be in your face. But we don't need another second chance. Or we don't need a second chance. I think of Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Our God can deliver. But if he chooses not to, we want you to know. So we have a universal world leader. We have a counterfeit image. We have dimensions that match, 60 and 6. We have command to worship, the universal death decree. And then we have God's people persecuted or oppressed. Here they are bound or will be bound, a form of imprisonment. In Revelation 13, we must receive the mark of the beast to buy yourself, form of imprisonment. And finally we have, and I'm cutting to the chase, and we'll read about it in a moment, God's deliverance. They're cast in, bound, but then they are loosed. Let's read about it. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. Astonished, amazed, flabbergasted. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound? Well, I'm skipping ahead. Where do we get to the other part? Better go back to 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. There we are. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No more Mr. Nice Guy. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, form of imprisonment, and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound, again it says, in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. I don't know about you, but I would have been praying through this whole thing. Lord, deliver us. Lord, where are you? Don't you want a powerful witness? Send the hurricane, the tornado, the earthquake, whatever it is. You better hurry. Lord, there's a bunch of buff guys coming to get me. They're binding me up. They're throwing me in. Lord, where are you? Now we're at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, Uh-huh. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of of God. Prophets and kings says that's Jesus in their midst. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. My, how quickly his vocabulary changes. Come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire and the satraps and the administrators and the governors and the king's counselor gathered together and they saw, they all saw, every last one of these influential people around the globe saw. These men on whose bodies the fire had no power, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Oh, but something burned? Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, he still has a ways to go, but anyway, Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. The Lord will deal with that part, but he has good intent. And their houses shall be made as an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Did it make an impact? Was the witness powerful just for him or for like the whole known world at that time? That was huge. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. End of story. What an example. What a witness. What if they had not stood? What if they had rationalized? I mean, is this the path you would have chosen? I don't know about you, but if you're applying this to your own life... I don't know, I tell you, my life oftentimes goes in directions and ways that I don't want it to go. And I'm praying all along the way, Lord, this isn't the path that I want. Lord, bail me out. Lord, when are you gonna intervene? Lord, why are you silent? Are you not hearing my prayers? And then I have to remember this quote, Ministry of Healing, 479. God never, God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. Not my glory, his glory. It says God never leads. It doesn't say occasionally or sometimes. Never, never, never. God doesn't ever lead his children otherwise than they would choose to be led. That means at some point in time, I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, Lord, I'm so glad you did it that way. I, I wouldn't have wanted you to change one thing. Even though I pray this and this and this and this, that was the best way it could have happened. Why? Because of the, the glory of the purpose that was being fulfilled by doing it your way as co-workers with him. And so as a result of this story, they witnessed to a pagan king, to all the VIPs of the known world. And it will, be, will it be any different at the end of time? Presidents, kings, political officers, the rich, the influential, the world will be watching. And they can all do it from their living rooms. My question this morning is this, what prepared them to stand? 
And what if I said something really silly like temperance? Huh? What is temperance again? Well, it's the disposal entirely of things that are harmful and the use of in moderation of things that are good, but that's, that's small stuff, that's side stuff. That's legalistic stuff. That's not keeping the main thing the main thing. But don't be too quick to dismiss it. Desire of Ages 122 says, through intemperance, Satan works to destroy. Intemperance. Could be good stuff. But too much of good stuff isn't good anymore. You all know that uh, pastor's kids have the worst reputation. Is it true? You don't have to say amen. (laughs) Because their dads are too busy doing good stuff all day long. But they're intemperate. Minister of Healing 129 says, Temperance in all things has more to do with our restoration to Eden than men realize. Temperance. I mean, let's think about this. If I don't get enough sleep, is sleep important? Yes. Can I be intemperate with my sleep? Yes, I can. It can happen in a variety of ways, with a variety of means. Staying up too late. So I stay up too late. I don't get the hours that I need. The alarm clock goes off for me to study. And maybe it was all good stuff. But now... I'm trying to read and I'm... Okay, oh, okay, I'm going to read. This is good. I'm getting something out of this. This is for me. I'm going to not really... Has anybody ever had a devotion like that? And we look forward to the prayer because that means we can close our eyes. Dear Lord, please be with me today because I'm going to... intemperance. If you want to have a powerful devotional life, get to bed on time. It's not rocket science. Go to bed. If you want to have a powerful prayer life, go to bed. Have prayer and then go to bed. Even better. You can be busy doing lots of work and the work can be good stuff. But if you work too much, your relationships will suffer. Your relationship with God, with your wife, with your kids, even your dog will feel it. Am I right? It's a good thing to provide. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. We're commanded to work. But are we commanded to overwork? To the point of exhaustion? I don't have time for devotions because of my to-do list today. It's too long. What about eating poorly? Our health suffers. I I could promise you that if I took Pastor Hyman on a Bible study after that bean burrito eating contest, he'd be worthless. Because all the blood's right here. We can eat poorly. Our health can suffer. Our sleep can suffer because of what we've eaten or when we've eaten it. Our relationships, in turn, suffer. How about exercise? Friends, running to the bathroom does not constitute exercise. (laughs) 
And inversely is true too. I've known people that exercise is their God. Are you with me? It's good, but too much of a good thing isn't good. Neither is too little. Our phones can be a great escape. A lot of relationships. Well, I came home, Elizabeth was on her phone, so I decided to get on my phone. We just stayed on our phone until it was too late, and then we slept through our devotions. And then it snowballs. You get in the crazy cycle. You know about the crazy cycle, right? Do I even talk about the crazy cycle? That's where you stay up late the next night because you're behind, and then the next night, and the next night, and because you had to sleep in, and then you're not tired when you should be tired, and the crazy cycle. Intemperance. How's your relationship with God doing in the midst of that crazy cycle? How many of you went to school and you remembered when summer break came? Aha, now I have some time. Do you spend more or less time in God's Word? Typically less. Because you have this routine down, you get up at a certain time, you go to bed at a certain time, you read your Bible for a certain time, but I'm on vacation. I stay up late, I sleep in late, I'll get to the devotion eventually, and I never do. Crazy cycle, intemperance. Not to mention the things that we should completely abstain from. I mean, you have the typical alcohol, smoking, drugs. We could include a whole list of other things that I'm not going to get into. Not to mention ungodly media content, movies, music, illicit web browsing, all impacting in significant ways. I might have told you this before. Maybe it was downstairs in the meetings we had. Senior class trip that the islanders took in Micronesia, they chose to go to an island called Nukoro. And in Nukoro, there was about 50 people that lived on this small little atoll, and a boat would come by once a month with supplies, including gasoline that you would go fishing in, and they had really small motors so they could conserve their gas and all these things, but they lived off the land. They lived off the fish and the ocean, and they actually had, the ocean was right there, and there was a spring of fresh water right here. I couldn't figure it out. When the tide was high, it was brackish, but when the tide was low, you could get all the fresh water you wanted on this little atoll. And they lived there, and they drank their sakao, which is when they crush up, is it betel nut or something? Or maybe it's actually a, a bark, I think, that they crush up on between two stones, and it looks all green and has a consistency of snot, forgive me. And so then they, they do this to it, and then they, they squint their eyes because it tastes terrible, and they drink this, and it makes them drunk and all the rest. And then they do crazy stuff. They heat up papayas and throw them at each other. I'm not joking. They do crazy stuff. And on this one tiny little island... And you have everybody walking around machetes, too. That causes problems. On this one tiny island, they f- finally came together and they said, this is killing our families. This is killing our relationships. It's killing everything with our spouse, everything else. We're just going to ban. There's no alcohol allowed on our island, period. So when we came in, they searched through. We, you can't bring any alcohol here. Of course, we didn't have any. But I'm thinking, how nice. Because they saw... From a secular standpoint, this is destroying us. You talk to a police officer. How many crimes are there drugs or alcohol or something else involved that's altering the state of mind? Virtually all of them. I can't say all of them, but so much of the time that cops are shocked when it's not involved. They almost don't believe you. Go ask one of your friends that works in that line of work. And if this whole island can ban stuff that's terrible, why do we keep trying to pull stuff in that's not helpful for us? 
ministry of healing, 490, says this, life is chiefly made up not of great sacrifices and wonderful achievements, but of little things, little things. It's often through the little things which seem so unworthy of notice that great good or evil is brought into our lives, little things, like getting to bed on time, little things, like not binging at mealtimes. Anyway, I'll stop. Let me finish this quote. Quit interrupting me. It is through our failure to endure the test that comes to us in little things that the habits are molded, the character misshaped, and when the greater tests come, they find us unready. Little things. Ministry of Healing, 490. Go look it up. What little things are causing problems in your life? What little things is the devil using to derail you and your relationships, ultimately with him and in every other relationship in your life? Little things. And you can have this huge fortress with huge iron gates and tall walls and all the rest, but if there's some little tiny point of weakness, if while you're here, just one of your second story windows is not latched shut, somebody could put a ladder up to that and climb in and just clean you out because of one small vulnerability. But I have deadlocks or deadbolts or anyway. Doesn't matter, there's a little point So intemperance, appetite, these little things. I mean, stop and think about it. Adam and Eve, the fall was over appetite. Little thing. Children of Israel in Exodus. Huge thing about appetite. Manna versus the flesh pots of Egypt. Exodus 16.3, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The Lord was refining their diet as a means of refining their character. Ellen White even says the Egyptian diet gave them an unmanageable spirit. Are you watching and beholding anything that gives you an unmanageable spirit? Changing the way you think about things? Changing the things that come out of your mouth? You look here. In Daniel chapter 1, just a few verses away. In fact, turn to Daniel 1 verse 8. Same three Hebrews and Daniel overcame in appetite. A lot of people think that these guys were only 14, 15 years old. And here is set before them delicacies of the king's table and wine. And what would your teenager do at 14 or 15? Here it says, chapter 1 verse 8 of Daniel, And Daniel purposed in his heart. He determined, he decided in his mind, he determined in his, heart, in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. I mean, even the word delicacies sounds good, sounds delicious. Nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Is it possible that this overcoming an appetite that formed the character, the grooves in the mind, how they think, how they rationalize, was that in any way possibly forming the character that we see in chapter 3? Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus' temptation was over appetite, wasn't it? Desire of ages, 
tells us, beginning 114 and, and following, by fasting and prayer, he was to brace himself for the blood-stained path he must travel. In these little things, he's preparing himself for the bitter cup he's going to have to drink. Continuing on, as by the indulgence of appetite Adam fell, so by the denial of appetite Christ must overcome. Our only hope of eternal life is through bringing the appetites and passions, which he talks about together often, into subjection to the will of God. These seemingly little things. And how did Jesus overcome these temptations? It is written. Over and over. It is written. He claimed Bible promises. It says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Adam and Eve, appetite. Children of Israel, appetite. Daniel and the three Hebrews, appetite. Jesus, appetite. And you and I, appetite. Revelation 14, 6. Three angels' message in the heart of Revelation says, fear God and give glory to him. Nicholas did a wonderful job. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. I loved how his younger brother Nathan came up earlier and, and said, uh, be brave, buddy. Gave him a hug, fist bump. Be brave. Did a great job, Nicholas. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So even eating, even drinking, even these little things bring glory to God. And so even in the heart of the three angels' message is this idea of appetite. Bringing our passions under suggestion, uh, uh, submission. I would suggest that temperance is a lot bigger than we thought. This quote here, volume three of the testimonies, 491 and 492. The controlling power of appetite will prove the ruin of thousands. When if they had conquered on this point, appetite, they would have had moral power to gain the victory of every other temptation of Satan. That's a huge statement, friends. In the controlling the power of the appetite will prove the ruin of thousands. When if they conquered on this point, they would have moral power to gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan. These little things, if you can overcome in these little things... I mean, you stop and think about it. Appetite's tough. It's tough. That looks really tasty. Looks really delicious. And in my home, the kids aren't around, so I'll pop one. As long as no one can see. And it goes down easy and quick. And there's another one. And nobody's around. Appetite. And I hope you know I'm not just talking about food, but I am talking about food. These little things. Do you control your appetite or does your appetite control you? Oh, I can quit whenever I want. So why don't you? Anyone who's gone through boot camp or military training, which I have not, but I understand that everybody that goes through that basically hates their commander, can't stand their commander. They're ready to choke their commander because they're so strict and stringent and they have to be able to bounce a quarter off the bed or whatever it is and everything has to be laying just perfect. And if it's crooked and you do these, you know, these terrible things that they make you do if, if not everything is just right. But let me tell you, when wartime comes, 
they thank their commander. They oftentimes make speeches like, I hated you then, but I'm giving you a big bear hug now. God chastens those that he loves. Proverbs 3.12, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. Fathers, if you really care about your sons, do you just let them do whatever? Or do you try and show them a better way? Hebrews 12.6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens or disciplines. Revelation 3.19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so God is rebuking and chasing those that he loves because he's refining our character. He's preparing us to meet bigger challenges and bigger temptations. And if we can't stand for the little seemingly insignificant thing, how are we going to stand for the big thing? If these three Hebrews couldn't stand when all of these things were laid out before them, take and eat. Could they have stood in Daniel chapter 3? I don't think so. I don't think so. So I imagine by now, the Holy Spirit has brought something to your mind. Maybe you've tried to overcome it before. And maybe your thinking is like somebody I spoke to just this week. How do I do this? I waffle from being lazy to legalistic. Is this something that I do or that Jesus does? Do I just lay there and let him do it? Or do I grit my teeth and try harder? How do I do this? Well, you don't put sin in the center. You don't put your issue, your problem, your, tri- your trial in the center. You don't put self in the center. What do I do? You put Christ and his word in the center. You make him the focus, not the sin, not the problem, not the temptation, Christ. Center of the circle. Desire of Ages, 123. By passing over the ground which, must, which man must travel, our Lord has prepared the way for us to overcome. Isn't that good news? He has endured all that is possible for us to bear. His victory is ours. It's mine. It's yours. John 16, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He's overcome it. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Good question. Looking unto Jesus, the author or originator and finisher, perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Don't look to the problem. Don't look to the sin. Don't look to the temptation. Chocolate Claire, I'm going to overcome you. No, put it away. Look to Jesus. Tell me one more verse before we close today. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning verse 3. I want you to see this in your own Bibles. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Did I say it wrong before? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That's talking about God's word. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Through what? Through the divine promises. Through God's power that he's given to all. Great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. His divine power has given us those things, has given us God's word. So don't look to your situation, your weakness, your lack of self-control. Look unto Christ and the power of his word. How can you infuse more of Christ and his word into your life? Well, I'm going to get to bed earlier so I can wake up earlier. Great. I'm going to listen to sermons in the car instead of the radio. Great. I'm going to spend some time, quiet time, every night before I go to bed. Instead of rehearsing the news again, I'm going to read God's word. Great. Whatever it is, immerse your life with Christ. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and he will create that work within you. Psalms 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart, in my mind, that I might not sin against thee. You will be shocked as you put more of God's word in, how more of God's word will flow out. And you will think of verses. Actually, the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind verses just when you need them. Psalm 17.4, by the word of your lips... I have kept away from the path of the destroyer. By the word of God's lips, by his word, we are kept away from sin and the path of the destroyer. What areas do you need victory today, friends? What seemingly little thing has control over you? What areas of appetite or intemperance are damaging your relationships? Because sometimes a small little tweak a small course correction can get you out of the crazy cycle. You know, I just decide I'm going to go to bed on time and waking up on time. And I've had such incredible devotions, I haven't fallen asleep through any of them. And as a result of that time I'm spending with God, it's revolutionizing my marriage. It's revolutionizing my relationship with my kids. My dog wakes his tail more. Friends, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Volume 1 of Selected Messages, 172, you know this one. Christ is our example. By beholding him, we are to be changed. I don't know about you, but by God's grace, I want to be faithful to Jesus. Faithful in little things, and faithful in all areas. But I know myself all too well. But by beholding Jesus, by looking unto Jesus, by basking in Jesus, immersing myself in his word, memorizing scripture, listening to sermons, filling my mind with things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report and praiseworthy. 
when I do that, he might complete the work that he began in me. Because I'm simply making myself available in a very intentional way. I desire to be faithful to Jesus in the little things so that when the big tests come, by God's grace, I will be found faithful. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to be wholly yours. Not just in the big visible things, but in the little things of life and temperance and balance. Lord, give us your Holy Spirit. Point out the ways and the areas in our life that we need to adjust. And then as we focus on you, Lord, we ask that you will work in us and through us to make us like you. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.